August Falch Arash to the Crazy House Prices podcast, the podcast where we dive deep into the Irish housing market and explore the factors that are driving prices up and maybe down. I'm your host, Kieran McQueen, and in this episode, I'm joined by Kieran McQueen of the Economic and Social Research Institute. You might see them as the ESRI. They're the people that put out all the big publications about basically the economy. We discuss the current state of the housing market, the reasons behind why we are where we are, the differences between building houses and apartments, and we'll also get Kieran's predictions for house prices in Ireland in 2023. So sit back, enjoy. Well, not enjoy because it's not really good news, but I suppose get ready to learn and be more informed about the Irish housing market here on the Crazy House Prices podcast. Hi, I am just going to pause the podcast for a second to talk to you about some sponsors of the Crazy House Prices podcast. This episode is sponsored by Daft.ie. Daft is Ireland's number one property portal. Daft has the most properties available for sale and rent and is the preferred national property website amongst consumers in Ireland. So Daft.ie's core vision is to make buying, selling and renting property better for everyone in Ireland. So Daft's mission is to simplify each step of every property transaction in the Irish market to make buying, selling, and renting in Ireland simple. That's why Daft.ie build innovative tools like Offers by Daft, an online real-time offers platform that provides never-before-seen transparency for the Irish consumer when buying a home. Are you looking to buy? Maximize your chances of finding your dream home by visiting Daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. Now, today on the yep. podcast, I have Kieran McQuinn from the ESRI. Uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast, Karen. And we're hoping to maybe talk about house prices, why they are where they are, and maybe where you see them going. So, if you want to maybe give yourself a kind of brief introduction, and uh, so the listeners can kind of f- figure out why your name is usually behind most of the publications on the ESRI around housing. Uh, th- well, thanks very much, uh, Karen, for having me on. It's always. Uh, I- it's it's always a pleasure to talk about housing, although sometimes we, we don't have very positive or, or um, uh, you know, um, I suppose, uh, uh, things to say about the housing market. And, and obviously at present, I'm conscious of the fact, and, and we even see it here in, in the SRI, it's very, very difficult, particularly for younger people trying to get on the property market, you know, and, and we see it very much uh, from a, a recruitment perspective. And we can really see it beginning to bite in terms of recruitment that people are just finding it very, very difficult, uh, particularly when they come to Dublin. The cost and, uh, and, and uh, price of housing in Dublin is just very, very, very high. We know it at first hand because we actually estimate the um, rental indicators for the RTB. We've been doing that now for a number of years, and we, we've broadened it out over the last few years to to look at uh, regional uh, rental indicators. But you know, it, it really is just striking when you look at the, the 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 figures as to you know how high and how much of people's take home pay uh, people are having to spend on either uh, renting or if they're if you're lucky enough in inverted commas to get on the property market and, and to be able to buy. Um, so I think. First of all, just to say in terms of we do a lot of work here in the SRI on housing, we have a research program with the Department of Housing, which has been very successful over the last number of years. And hopefully that's set to continue over the medium term. I'm lucky that I have uh, great colleagues here uh, who also work on housing, people like Conor O'Toole, Rachel Slaymaker, uh, Wendy Dish. Uh, Owen Kenny, Eva, Sheil. We have a good team here of people. So 
we uh you know we, we do a lot of work on 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 that in the housing space and it's a very much collaborative team effort in terms of what you see um i suppose in terms of the market itself uh, as we were just saying there you know backing up if you like because oftentimes you know when you're doing analysis or research you tend to be very much consumed with the latest figures and the latest data and the latest trends etc but it is useful and informative to kind of step back and take a broader look um and try and see why we are where we are uh, and how that's going to impact us going forward. And I think, unfortunately, the story of the Irish housing market is that it's still very much feeling the ill effects of the financial crisis, which are now 10, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, and the financial crisis, for anybody who isn't uh, aware of it, uh, in terms of its implications, it had you know a devastating impact on the supply side of the Irish housing market. So you know a lot of developers and those in the construction industry were essentially wiped out because of it. But it also, of course, had huge, a uh, huge impact on the um, the financial sector, and I think that's a really important point. That uh, you know, we we saw a massive credit bubble in the two thousands in Ireland and in other countries, but particularly in Ireland, where people were given both on the demand and the supply side of the market. If you think of it, so people from a mortgage perspective were given huge amounts of money in in order to borrow. Uh, in order to afford house prices. And those on the supply side in the construction sector were given large amounts of finance to to, to develop properties and develop housing estates, et cetera. Um, those, that scenario has changed now completely as a result of the huge credit bubble and burst which occurred. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's right that that would be the case. We have a lot of regulation in place now, macro prudential regulation, a lot of regulation, both domestically and at EU level of our banking sector. But that's important because what it means is that, you know, the banking sector, I think it's fair to say, um, is not really in a position to kind of provide all of the finance that's necessary uh, to generate the level of activity in the housing market that we need. That we know? need, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, estimates vary as to what we need. Uh, we've done work in the in the Institute and it's a very tricky issue as to estimate how much do you need. Our estimate would have been, you know, between 30 and 35,000 units per annum. Uh, however, that all depends on crucial assumptions around population forecasts, around household formation, which is a big one. Uh, but I think it's likely that we, we will be revising those estimates and it's likely that the figure is going to be somewhat higher. And that's due to the, the kind of higher population estimates that came out of the census. It's also due to the fact that we have quite a lot of net Im uh, inward immigration um, you know, we see that obviously with the in response to the Ukrainian crisis. So we will need probably at least somewhere in the region of 40, possibly more 40,000 units per annum. Now, figures out today from the CSO show that we're uh, going to hit around just under 30,000 uh, last year. And that's up quite a bit from the previous year. Now, unfortunately, the pandemic has had quite a distortionary impact on the housing market. So what we've seen is is booms and busts even even uh, by property market standards. So for instance, in 2020, the first year real year of the pandemic, we saw a fall off in housing supply because housing construction was affected by the pandemic and by the health restrictions. Uh, however, since then, we've seen kind of a, a, a bounce back, quite a strong bounce back. Uh, however, it's unlikely that this year, if we're talking about short-term projections, it's unlikely that we're going to get 30,000 probably this year. I'd say it'd be probably more in the region of 26, 27,000. And that's based on the commencements data that we saw last year in 2022. Uh, and that's down to things like higher inflation and the higher inflationary environment that we've seen globally, uh, both you know, in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic due to the supply 
uh, chain issues, but also now because of the, the pressures coming from the glo- the the war in the Ukraine. So we've seen energy costs going up, et cetera. So that they've all had a big knock on impact on inflationary pressures in the in the construction sector. So we're probably not going to see thirty thousand units in in this year, somewhere maybe in the region of twenty four, twenty five thousand units. Um but you know, fair to say the, the the trajectory, the trend is upward. So I think going forward in 2024, 2025, we're probably going to see more housing units uh, built again. But there's still going to be a catch up with uh, between what we, you know, where we are and what we need to, to, to build in order to meet the demand that's there. And as long as you have that deficit, that shortfall, you're going to continue. Unfortunately, I think for most people, you're going to continue to see an upward pressure on both prices and rents in the market. I think that's really... Uh, the outlook over the next while. Um, we did see a surge. You, you referred to there about uh, the, the study we did on uh, before Christmas, which uh, suggested that there was overvaluation in the market. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. I think what happened was the, the pandemic, as I said, had a negative impact on the supply side of the market, but it had quite a positive, if you like, impact on the demand side, mainly because savings levels went up uh, very starkly. Um, you know, people weren't buying, they weren't purchasing, they were saving a lot, and they used and have been using some of those savings, I think, over the last year or two to purchase housing. And we've seen house prices, you know, jump considerably. Hmm. House price inflation had all but, all but uh, leveled off just prior to the pandemic. Yeah. House prices were growing at around half a percent. In the last year, they've been growing at 14, 15 percent. Um, and it's just not sustainable going forward you know people just cannot afford that kind of increase in prices so that's a kind of an overview if you like of 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 where the market is at at present as i said it's really i think the problem problem with the housing market is that there's always a lag between the demand and the supply side the demand side can change instantaneously almost you know mm-hmm. if economic conditions improve if unemployment falls if interest rates fall demand increases quite sharply on the other hand there's a lag there as far as the supply side is concerned but it's really uh, it's an it's a real problem in Ireland because uh, of of the ill effects of the financial crisis and the fact that there's a lot of knock on negative implications to do with that. Uh, and as I said, particularly the funding issue is is a big issue, you know, as far as what the banks can fund now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that, that that's where we're at um, uh, at the present time. And I guess kind of just going back to those figures, so I saw. I actually saw that release earlier as well that they they're hitting just about thirty thousand um, deliveries of of homes, but I guess as you said, if the demand, if we really need to be doing say forty forty five thousand, and that's that thirty thousand the highest figure I think since two thousand and since before the the crash anyway. Yeah. So if there's that demand every year and that's compounded, if we need say. Like so, the the way you calculate the figures then, so say we need forty five thousand, is that taken into account that we've missed say by ten thousand every year before that, or how does it work? No, that's a very important point. It doesn't. Uh, this is basically just the the net addition we need every year to meet the the new demand, but it doesn't take into account the backlog and the mm. fact that we haven't been hitting that figure for a long, long time. I mean, only a few years ago, housing supply was down at five or six thousand units yeah. per annum. So there's a huge shortfall there and a huge pent up level of demand out there. Uh, so, you know, I think in terms of meeting the overall situation, you're you're talking about a higher figure again, if you like, uh, over, over the medium term. So 
I'm it, one it's that's a huge just challenge. Not, not possible, really, I suppose, given labour constraints, given, given the lack uh, of actual feet well, on the ground to be able to build them. It is a big challenge, certainly from a, a cons- I, I think the constraint I would see is more from is, is, is on the funding side as in who's going to fund all of this, you know, who's going to provide the finance to the developers, to the uh, to the construction, those in construction, uh, and to a certain extent, who's going to provide the finance to the people looking to buy, you know, on the mortgage side. So mm-hmm. I think that's more where the constraint will come. I mean, uh, technically or physically, we built 90,000 units per annum at one stage. Now, we built them in the wrong place, and, <laughs> you know, we don't want to necessarily go back to that, but we can build quite a lot of housing when we when we need to, um, there are there are other challenges though, uh, and I suppose one big issue going forward over the next period of time is how we meet our house building challenges and objectives, and also meet our climate change. Um, so you know the whole issue around retrofitting, mm. retrofitting housing. There's a huge you know scale of of investment required there, and again that's going to have implications uh, in terms of us meeting our our house building uh, targets as well. So there are huge challenges. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think one of the major issues, major challenges, is more on the financing and funding side of of the increased activity. Um, I think the labor, if the opportunities are there and the housing and you know and 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 the funding is there, I I think the labor will 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 come if you like. Um, and the labor isn't so much of a challenge, but I I, I think there are other challenges there for sure. And I guess historically we had those problems. Like I mean, I'm I'm sitting now in in a house that we just bought that was built in 1922, and mm-hmm. I believe a lot of the the more so this was tenant purchase scheme a lot of social housing schemes back then the labor was essentially imported it wasn't it wasn't irish people building them i think they imported a lot of the labor from the uk i think some from germany mm. i think i remember reading so i guess okay. as you said if the funding is there i mean yeah uh, are we going to are we going to expect every, all the Irish trades over in Australia to, to move home to build them? Probably not. But where are we going to get them from? I guess is the yeah the... yeah. I think I mean um, we, we did we tried to scope out some of these issues in the paper we did there just before Christmas as well on on kind of capacity constraints. Yeah, and we were looking at the kind of where immigration is is coming from recently into into Ireland, uh, and it's clear that it's it, you know it's coming from a variety of disparate of sources. Um, you know, I suppose the one difference between now and maybe twenty years ago. Uh, is that we got a lot of labor 20 years ago from East Europe, uh, Eastern mm. Europe, you know, and a lot of those from the construction sector came over from Eastern Europe. Now, obviously, those economies are more developed now than what they were 25 years ago. So you're not probably going to get the supply of labor from there. But I think there are other areas and, and we have seen it. It it just the types of people who are coming and working in, in into the domestic economy over the last number of years are more in other areas of the economy. They're they're more in ICT, um, yeah. shall we say, more high value added um, areas, uh, high, higher paid areas of the economy. Trying to attract in construction workers is going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about that. But I think if if the funding is there uh, over the next period of time, then I think I think you will secure uh, you know labour in in order to do that. There's also an issue around. 
and we looked at this as well, is that the actual fall off in people working in construction wasn't as great as what you would expect it to have been given the fall off in residential construction. So clearly there was a kind of a, a substitution or displacement of people out of residential construction uh, into commercial oper- uh, commercial property, uh, hotels, etc. Yeah. So there is the potential for you know a rebalancing, if you like, in that sense that people who were working in more cons- commercial construction maybe could shift into the residential space in order to meet the kind of uh, meet the supply requirements going forward. Yeah, and I just think an- anecdotally, where where I lived, there's a massive amount of development around me. There's a lot of hotels, student accommodation, built to rent. And so parking uh, is a nightmare because it's city center. Oh, but yeah. A lot of the cars are are northern northern regis. So uh, it's, oh, just, right, it's, okay. it's interesting yeah. to to see. Like nearly nearly every single one of them is is uh, a northern reg, and then they're they're driving back, and then they're coming down. They're here kind of six seven a.m. Uh, yeah. So th- they're they're working hard, but I guess as you said, a lot of a lot maybe a lot of the the trades are building more commercial rather than residential so let's say yeah. let's say i was a let's say i'm a i'm a developer or i'm a builder and mm. i have a plot of land and i have planning and i want to build 300 semi three bed semi-detached houses in a dublin suburb how so what you're saying is it's near impossible for me to get the funding from say a domestic lender is that the case so bank of ireland aren't going to give me the funding to build those. So this is why we're getting a lot of the kind of pre-purchased or. Yeah. There's, there's a number of issues there. Firstly, what the banks previously, I mean, it was explained to us, we had people coming in, you know, quite frequently into the SRI from the construction sector, from the banking sector, just kind of, I suppose, having kind of uh, exchange of views and opinions. The way it was explained to us was before, you know, a property developer might be able to get during the Celtic tiger years, uh, if the overall, however much it was required, was say in terms of developing a site, the the developer might have been able to get upwards of six, seventy, eighty, maybe even ninety percent funding from a bank in terms of uh, the, the finance provided, and then he'd have to or she'd have to stump up the remaining ten, fifteen percent in terms of equity. Okay, that's changed now down to like you probably get somewhere in the region, you'd be lucky to get somewhere in the region of 50 to 60% finance from a financial institution. And they will look for the other 35, 40% uh, equity finance to come from from another source. That's quite a lot of money and quite mm-hmm. a lot of revenue that 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 would have to be generated. Uh, the other issue is that in a nutshell, if you want to deal with a lot of the pressures that are there in the housing market right now, um, and you were asked, well, what's the, the silver bullet? Well, it's it's essentially apartments in Dublin. I mean, that's really, I, I suppose, what we're talking about because that's where the real demand is, okay? Therein, the, the problem then is that you're looking at a difference between funding apartment construction versus funding, we'll say, the kind of housing estates that we would have traditionally looked at. Yeah. The difference there is that if you're a developer and you've got your, your funding a housing estate, what you would typically do is you would maybe build 10 houses initially. You sell them, you get in a certain amount of equity uh, from whoever's buying them. You then go back to the bank and you refinance and then you develop the next 10 years. The next phase, yeah, yeah, yeah. The next phase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do that with apartments. You can't build the first two floors and say, well, okay, I'll sell these and then I'll go off and they'll get the funding for the next two or three floors up. It doesn't work like that. That's, That's a problem as well. 
that's another okay. problem as far as funding is concerned. So that's where it's it's really kind of biting, I think, as far as uh, the funding is is concerned, as far as developers are concerned. They're having to secure uh, finance from other areas. That's why, you know, if somebody can come in, like some of these institutional investors, provide a lot of capital up front, you know, from a developer's point of view, it's it's a it's it's an there's a no there's no choice in the matter. You simply have to go with that. Also, you're seeing uh, a lot of developments for social housing being provided and and are becoming very attractive for developers as well because the state is coming forward and saying, well, okay, we'll buy X number of these units off you for social housing purposes, and here's you know essentially here's the check up front or here's you know a good portion of the check up front. So that's that's becoming very attractive for developers in terms of securing that extra equity, if you like, that that goes along with the the traditional finance of, of funding the development, you know. So um those are some of the issues then that you're you're seeing in terms of the kind of units that are being provided and the kind of finance options that that developers are availing of. Okay. That makes sense. And it's a it's a good way to think of it in terms of because we always see that with phases in housing developments, first phase, and then they're bought out. And then the next phase, the houses are probably 20, 30 grand more expensive than they're sold. And as, uh, as you go on, then but it's interesting, you kind of never really think, oh, well, I haven't anyway thought about that in terms of the apartments, you need to build them all in one go. Because exactly, you, can't, you yeah. can't have someone living in the apartment, then you're trying to build another floor on top. Like no, <laughs> no, exactly. That's that's the nature of it. You see, so mm-hmm. uh, that that present and and that's all against the backdrop of the banks. Uh, you know, the, the the whole nature of lending being far tighter now than what it was 15, 20 years ago. You know, the banks simply cannot lend. They're 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 just not allowed to lend the kind of sums. And that's right. I mean, you know, because otherwise. You know, if they were, you'd end up with back in the the kind of scenario we had in two thousand five, six, and seven, yeah. where things just got completely out of control, and you know, we all ended up paying for it. You know, so yeah, uh, it's 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 important, but it does pose a challenge. The other thing, just to say, I think, and it is worth saying, even though the situation is particularly, um, you know, acute here in Ireland, and there's no doubt that it is, these are problems that are you're seeing around Western Europe and, you know, in, in certain parts of the States as well, you know, this, these kinds of issues really are coming to the fore of, of, of rising house prices, supply, not being able to, 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 to keep up uh, and kind of similar policy mistakes. You know, we, we've yeah. argued for a while now that one of the big policy mistake was the government leaving the housing market, you know, that really the government needs to be in there providing a certain amount of social and affordable housing every year. And that really, uh, didn't happen from the the kind of early two thousands onwards, and that was something which was you see across Europe. It's not just in Ireland, but it's something that you see after the financial crisis. The the, the kind of the government or public sector leaving the housing market, and I think yeah. that's really kind of leading to a lot of the problems that that we're now experiencing. And that's something that I'm always thinking about because it's to me it just seems like an obvious solution to a lot of the problems. Because let's say. The, there's very few houses being built that are available for sale. So as you said, it's mostly apartments and they're the, the way that it works, they need yield. So they're, they're off for rent. It's too expensive to build them to sell. So what we're seeing is a lot of, basically everybody is competing for a very, very small number of supply of houses, say for sale. And then you're also competing against the state because they're not building their own ones. So, mm. um, 
that that just re- re- means there's a such a, a massive reduced supply, and then and then everybody's fighting over a few houses, so the price of them goes up. That's just that's just normal. But that's something I'm always struggling with. Is is okay? Well, the government have this land. We, we have money now. We, it's not 2010. Uh, we we do have money now. We've and I know they have the rainy day fund and all that. But we're we're taking in more money now than than we ever have. So mm. what it what is stopping them from say the government then just going back to what they used to do and then providing the social housing themselves and building them, get, getting the people in to build them for them and the, and the government acting as the developer. And then that stops them relying on the private market to supply everything. Yeah, I, th- I think to be fair, the penny has dropped, I think. Uh, but unfortunately, it's it, 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 it has taken a while. So, I mean, if you do look at uh, the housing for all strategy that was outlined um, you know, there are positive elements there in terms of there's, you know, quite a specific increase in the amount of government funding uh, towards social yeah. and affordable housing. And crucially, it's kind of multi-annual. So it's committed over a number of years. It's not saying the government's saying we're going to increase expenditure this year and then, you know, we, we'll see what happens next year and the year after. They've committed it over a number of years. The problem is just that, you know, the problem had been allowed to develop and fester for so long that it's not going to be one that can be uh, resolved overnight, unfortunately, you know. Um, so it, you are paying the price for, uh, you know, inaction over the last period of time. Um, and as you say, a lot of that goes back, unfortunately, to the way in which essentially Europe responded to the financial crisis. You know, if you look back at it, it, it really would have been uh, absolutely ideal if member states had been able to, for example, engage in a public housing scheme, particularly our, ourselves, for instance, around about 2010, 11, 12. If you think of all the builders and tradespeople who were unemployed at the time because yeah. all the construction sector had been decimated, well, if the government had been able to step in at that stage and employ those people to build a certain amount of social housing over a number of years, then, you know, the situation would have been radically different to where we are right now. But, you know, Europe pursued a certain kind of policy response to the crisis. I think a lot of people now agree that that policy response was was incorrect or certainly was misplaced in certain areas. And there certainly are lessons to be learned uh, in terms of, you know, governments being able to to spend money in areas, in capital expenditure areas, particularly such as housing. Uh, but, you know, again, going back to what we, we, we kicked off by saying, unfortunately, the supply side of the housing market takes a long time to get, get up and running and, and, and to start supplying uh, the level of housing that's required. And we have such a backlog now that it's going to take quite a few years to, to clear it, you know. Um, and, and the other, I suppose, issue is, as we talked about the constraints, I mean, we have a lot of money, but it's being able to spend it uh, and spend it in a productive manner, I suppose, is is the challenge going forward and making sure that we do get value for what we spend and and, and that yeah. as much of it as much of it ends up in, in extra housing units as much as anything else. Yeah, and I know they've they've committed to trying to phase out that leasing, which is a bad I think as an economist you probably see it's a it, you know it's a bad return on investment uh, if they're leasing for at near market rates for a long time and then at the end we don't have an asset. But it, I guess yeah. I guess like with all those kind of factors taken into account something that I know people listening to this will always want to know and it's impossible to predict but I guess if anybody's in a, in a good position to maybe make uh, a prediction as to what you feel like might happen this year in terms of 2023 and 
house prices, maybe even rental prices. Um, what way do you see things going this year? Yeah, I think I, I don't think you can you, you can't expect that house prices are going to continue to grow at the rate at which they have been growing over the last while. As I said, that's due mainly to the distortionary impact of the pandemic. So I think this year what you'll see is you'll see house prices continuing to grow. I think they will continue to increase. But I think the rates of increase will be a lot less than what we saw last year. You know, last year we saw 14, 15% per annum. That can't continue. So I would say, you know, you're looking at low single digit uh, house price inflation this year. You're also looking at, I think, the rental situation. Um, you're going to continue to see upward pressure on rents. You know, as we said, as long as you have, you know, the, the amount of housing supplied is less than what's needed, you will see upward pressure on rents. But I think you probably should see uh, the rental pressures easing slightly. They're at around 7 or 8%. So I think, again, you would probably see it, it being less than that over, you know, over the next year in terms of the annual average. So, I think housing costs, they're not going to, I don't see house prices falling anytime soon um, uh, unless interest rates continue to increase. I mean, that is one area where you could see a fall in, in, in house prices, but I think you will continue to see house prices going up, but I think at a lot slower pace than was the case over the last uh, 12 to, to, to 16 months. Okay, so for people who are kind of maybe thinking of of buying a house um, or a home, I guess the alternative is to rent. And that's something I'm always mm. kind of like if they're, let's say if rent is going up and up and rent rent figures are probably going to go up higher than house prices are going to go up. They need, I guess people need to make that call as to how much they'll be spending on rent uh, compared to this house is probably going to be maybe six, 7% higher next year, the mm. same house. But that's assuming that the same house will be available next year, which Again, it, it probably won't be. So I guess that's where people always, well, I get asked all the time and I'm just like, I don't know, I haven't a clue. You need to talk to an expert. So this is why I like to try and get experts mm. onto the podcast to give us a more educated opinion on it. Um, so I guess to summarize that, you're kind of, ho hopefully anyway, prices don't continue to go up by 14, 15% as they have been and, and you're looking at single digits, but then as you mentioned, interest rates, I think, are a hot topic at the moment. And I know historically, usually 1% in interest rates going up. I think house prices used to drop by about 10, but that's in a uh, a market where supply is kind of, you know, steady along with mm. demand, whereas we're not in that situation, unfortunately. So I think then the other side of that is when interest rates go up and if prices are coming down because of that, it's, I suppose for me personally, it's probably not really a good thing because people are getting, you know, the same, say, standard of house, but for a lot more money every month mm. because interest rates are so high. And, yeah. and that reduces then their ability to to basically pay for other things. And as you said, we're, we're spending such a, a massive percentage of our take-home pay on rent and on mortgages compared to, say, my parents or my grandparents or whatever. So um, an interesting one there. And so I, I think people love, you know, getting predictions as to where they hmm. think things are going to go. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, Kieran, and giving us no your, your expert opinion on it. And um, can, uh, can people kind of, are you on Twitter? Can people follow you on Twitter? Or, I am, yeah. yeah. I am I'm on Twitter and uh, uh, mainly just kind of for advertising yeah. whatever work we're doing. 
Um, so yeah, you can follow all our, our publications that way and, and any kind of contributions we make in terms of the popular media and stuff, we, we, we tend to put it out on Twitter. So yeah, yeah so very much so. It's esri.ie and then it's Kieran McQueen on Twitter. And then I think yeah. people like... I try to read the reports. They are they tend to be very some of them are hundreds of pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are they are quite long. We try to summarize them as well, but yeah, uh, yeah no, no, they they um they, they are, you know, by definition we try and do as detailed work as we can and, and make sure that we we outline everything we I mean one one thing I would point out is that everything we do is is refereed as well. And that's that's crucially important yeah. that the kind of quality control is there because obviously there are people there's a lot of people involved in the in the property game and they're coming from all different perspectives. So it is important that I think anything that's put out there is is refereed from our perspective to ensure that it, it does meet that kind of uh, quality benchmark. Yeah, and it's statistics and it's unbiased. It's not... Um... It's not, you know. Yeah, some... we we don't we don't have a you know skin in the game to put it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. In that sense, you know, um, yeah. we're we're trying to call it as objectively and as impartially as we can. Um, and as I said, particularly this issue arises with something, for instance, like the the, the structural demand issue. How how many houses, you yeah. know, we need? Some people would have you believe we need a hundred thousand per annum, you know. Um, and those people sometimes are closely connected to the property sector. Whereas, you know, any work we've put out in that space has always been very, very clear in terms of our uh, our, our scenarios and our, our assumptions about population and things like um, household formation rates, which are crucial determinants of that figure, that 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 end figure. So, yeah, everything we do is, is refereed. That's fantastic. And I think as well with the reports, a lot of any any articles you kind of see around housing tends to come from your reports and from CSO statistics as well so it's important that people yeah. also read the source of that which has gone straight to the ESRI so we'll leave it there thank you so much Kieran I really appreciate thank it thank you Kieran. no problem at all I'm going to pause the podcast for a second because I want to talk to you about a company called Financial Planning Matters. Their website is fpms.ie. This is a company that I know very well and the team behind it are fantastic. It's a small Irish company that believes that financial planning should be accessible, easy to understand and affordable for everyone. That's why they offer personalized financial advice that's tailored to your unique needs and goals. Their team of expert financial planners will look at your current financial situation and develop a personalized strategy to give you a roadmap to achieve your financial goals. It's not just about setting up a pension or investing your money. They'll consider all aspects of your finances to help you get to where you want to be. So that could be saving for your deposit. It could be knowing where to invest your children's allowance. It could be maybe you have loads of money and you want to know what to do with it. So their customer service is incredible. I've been using them for over a year now and I cannot recommend them enough. So check out FPMS. Now, back to the podcast. August Shine, Lahayan episode show of the Crazy House Prices podcast. I hope you found that conversation with Kieran McQueen of the ESRI as informative and interesting as I did. His insights on the funding of residential developments and his predictions for the future of house prices in Ireland were quite enlightening, I guess. I think it's really important to get insights from qualified experts like this on the podcast so that we can all get a more informed picture of what's going on in the market. So a special thank you to Kieran and also my sponsors of the podcast and also my patrons for supporting the podcast, the Instagram page and pretty much everything I do. So 
if you're looking to buy a home in Ireland, I have some good news for you. My book is now finished, How to Buy a Home in Ireland. It is available to pre-order now and it will be officially released at the end of March. So you can pre-order it by going to the link in the episode description or by checking out the link in my Instagram bio. My Instagram is at crazyhouseprices. Thank you for listening. August Slonga Fall.